welcome back for another episode of Clean Tech Talk, where we at Clean Technica interview clean tech leaders from around the world. With topics ranging from electric cars to climate change communication, you can listen to our full podcast series by visiting our website at cleantechnica.com. This episode of Clean Tech Talk is sponsored by Flow, the maker of the Flow Home X5. The Flow Home X5 is an industry-leading home EV charging solution that features a stylish and durable aluminum casing and allows you to schedule, monitor, and optimize your charging via the Flow mobile app. Flow offers 24-7 customer support to help with installation and troubleshooting. To learn more about the Flow Home, please visit store.flow.com. That's store.flo.com. We're here for another episode of Clean Tech Talk, and today we're talking with Nathan Yang, Chief Product Officer at Flow, an EV charging leader. Nathan, welcome. Thank you for having me, Kevin. I'm really looking forward to the conversation today. Thanks. I'm Zachary Shahan, CEO of Clean Technica, Chief Editor and Podcaster, but we have a, a few different hosts who interchange on Clean Tech Talk. So today, obviously, we're talking about EV charging stations, EV charging development. I have a lot of questions for you, especially as a chief product officer. You know, I, I figured I can get into some weeds that I really like to hear more about. So to start off, though, let's could you give us a picture of your customer breakdown at the moment in terms of type of customers? So single family, residential, multifamily, residential, commercial, retail, commercial office, government, nonprofit. How do you how does your customer base currently breakdown with your EV charging stations? Yeah, well, our, our, our customer base is pretty broad and diverse. You know, we we cater to the single family residential, to the multifamily residential, to the commercial, to to all, everything that you just described, Zach. Um, I would say um, what's interesting is the geographical distribution um, of those customers. If you look at the Northeast, it's a lot of um, more of the multifamily type residential uh, units. Whereas if you go to the rest of Canada and the, the rest of the United States, it's more single family. Um, you know, the average house is about 2,500 square feet. So they typically have dedicated parking, um, you know, and they, they charge that way. So it's, it's pretty, I would say it's pretty broad range. We, we cover it all. What is another way to look at it too is um, that's interesting is how you charge is somewhat dictated by uh the state of the, the the EV driver. If you're sleeping, you know, obviously you're charging a little bit longer because you are normally your car is parked for for that period of time. Um, versus when you're awake, you're either transiting between location or you're at a destination. And we we cover all those way of viewing the segments uh, as well. So we serve them all. So there's no specific one or two markets that sort of take up the majority of your business. It's sort of spread. Yeah, it's it's pretty spread across. Where we're right now, we're we're getting a lot of demand on our residential chargers because, of course, the new EVs are coming out, and the new EV buyers are when they're looking for a car, they're also looking for hey, you know, what kind of charging arrangement I might have at home. Uh, usually, overnight charging, uh, so that's there because of the longer battery ranges. That also means that people are more comfortable road tripping now <laughs> than ever, and so they'll they'll uh, you know, and of course, when you're road tripping, you are relying on the public chargers or the chargers on uh, next to highways if you're, if you're going a longer distances. So we're seeing, you know, demand and increasing usage of those as well. Yeah. So we're, we're seeing pretty much across the board at this point. Cool. And this is sort of a basic question, but it, it came into my head when thinking about interviewing you and I'm curious what your response is. So the EV market has, you know, changed tremendously in the past decade. You know, the, the range of EVs has 
tripled or something, tripled, quadrupled while the costs have come down. But one thing that's, and, and you know, so EV charging, fast fast charging stations have gone from 50 kilowatt to 100 to 350. You know, it's, it's been a huge uh, change in what the EV fast charging market looks like. But steady across the whole past decade is the popularity of level two chargers at homes and, and destination hotspots like shopping centers, restaurants, coffee shops, hotels. Why has the level two charging market held so steady and, and so so firm and i guess maybe you can also if you want to contradict me and say it hasn't it's, it's changed a lot we'll get into that as well but I, but just overall as as you know level two charging is just it's always been level two charging yeah yeah that's an interesting question i think there's a there's a, there's a couple aspects of it one of them is um, level two chargers you know you, you were talking about diving into details in a way that i mean it's a little bit like a, like a garden hose and, and, a, and, a, and a faucet at the end of it it's not very complicated it's it's ac powered that you're taking from the grid and your house and you're putting it into the car so there are they're not complicated they're highly reliable there's just not a whole lot of moving parts except for the connector itself that you plug into the car and, and unplug connect and disconnect so they're not very complex there's not a lot of moving parts so they're they're, they're rock solid reliable generally also level two chargers because they're just passing the ac power to the car, they're smaller, they're cheaper, they're lower power, and so they're easier to install and deploy. So a lot of locations or homes or, you know, you were describing destinations, like a coffee shop or a shopping mall or even a movie theater, those are easy to, to install and they don't require a, a complete overhaul of the power coming into your building, right? Because it's, 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 it's level two. And I would say the other, the other aspect that, that's kind of interesting is, especially in destinations, Charging at destinations, it helps provide a more complete experience because generally when, when you charge your car, car ranges are at the point where by the time you need to charge your car, you probably need to give your, your body and your mind a break, <laughs> buy a break, you know, eat something or, or do something. And so it's just very conducive to, you know, a coffee shop or a restaurant or, or you know, something like that. And more and more people are products and, and, and are, are, are more geared towards delivering experiences. Like you, you had the phase where products were built to just serve a purpose. And then you had the whole service industry that came out around such as servicing cars and things like that. And then now it's all about staging experience, right? Even when you go to a dealer to get your car serviced or uh, when you park to get charging, you, know, you expect a level of experience and it's the holistic experience, not just the, the purpose of charging your car. And so that, that whole thing, you know, that's probably why Tesla, you know, trademarked the Tesla name for a restaurant even recently. And yeah. they were talking about uh, of doing that. So to clear, I think, you know, the experience of owning a, an EV is not just the EV, the electrical aspect and a more sustainable aspect uh, or the zero to 60 range. It's the whole experience, including when you're charging, you're expecting that, the whole experience. And again, level two chargers, just easier to, to deploy, simpler, more reliable. And at those destinations, you can augment that experience with other things, which you know, I think all drives a level two uh, adoption there. Yeah, it's sort of been, I guess, a lucky thing about the EV market is it's always just plugged in like a Lego block between our our normal lives and EV driving where you don't have to yeah, upgrade stuff. You don't have, so it's like, I, I like the hose and faucet analogy. We, I, I, <laughs> we haven't had to upgrade how a hose and faucet work for a long time <laughs> because it just, you know, they work, they plug in. But so as you were getting to, I think, you know, Although the, the the charging power and sort of utilitarian side of it has been a steady feature of the last decade, level two EV charging stations have evolved uh, quite a bit as well, with especially the user experience. What and you know, what have been some top requests that you've received over the years 
and improvements you've made in the past few years to to yeah make the, your level two stations better? Maybe I'll separate between residential and commercial and public. As we were talking about earlier, we, we cover sort of both worlds in, in level two charging. In residential, we, we have a lot of requests about not just providing a charger itself, but the structure on which it's installed in. So sometimes you have a parking, you know, it's a parking lot and, and you want a, some, some sort of pole to be able to, um, you know, hold the, the, the actual, uh, you know, physical object of the charger. Um, other times um, they want to blend into the environment. You know, they're, they're mounting on a concrete wall or they have a super modern house or, a, or a more of a Spanish tile type design house and they want the product to, to blend in. So there's design things that they ask for. Cable management is actually a big thing too. People are, you know, you probably see, I'm sure uh, the, the listeners and, and uh, they see the, the posts of like a retractable cable apparatus to help, you know, bring the cable or, or a way to, to snake the cable, to store the cable. So we get a lot of those kind of requests, right? The, the design, the, what you're mounting in the cable management for residential. The other thing where we're getting more and more asks for residential also is the connected home aspect. They say, hey, is your, is your charger compatible with Alexa or HomeKit or, you know, a Google Home or things like that? And th that that's a little bit more complicated because on, on one side, uh, you know, we would have to support, of course, the, the, the EV charger manufacturers and providers, but then the, the ecosystems are also not quite ready. So in HomeKit, you don't have that. Yeah, that's an interesting because, you know, I feel like, I mean, I have to be honest, it's not my not my beat, not my thing. So I'm not really, but I feel like a few years ago, this was like a sort of novel whiz bang kind of, oh, that's cool tech option. And now it seems like a lot of normal people just have it and it's part of their life, uh, these kind of systems. I'm still, you know, I, I just rather sim keep it simpler. So I'm not <laughs> one that, you know, there's enough, I have enough apps on my phone. I have enough connections, but it is interesting that you're see that you're seeing that basically in your, with your customers as well, that kind of request. Yep. yep. And it's the same, same things that, uh, that drive the connected home that drives them to ask for EV, EV chargers. They, they, they want peace of mind. Usually people put a camera mm -hmm. in the house is to make sure that, you know, your pets are alive and your house is still yeah. there, right? Uh, so the peace of mind. But it's also a level of we are all inherently lazy. I think we, we choose the path of least resistance. So you want to be able to control thermostat without you know getting out of your couch or you know turning on and off lights. I really think it's a similar thing for for EV chargers. They want to make sure that the charger is operating fine, that that you know nothing is going out of um, out of band. There, they want to be able to see maybe what's going inside the garage just to make sure that the cars are. Yeah, yeah. We we were we were in Europe for a month and a half recently, and. Uh... Yeah, I stuck a specifically stuck a camera in the garage, staring at the car, you know, and check on it once in a while to make sure, you know, well, yeah. nothing crazy happened. But uh, so, what could you say? What your top three to five improvements you've made in the past few years are to your stations? So for, for us, because we we come from the northeast, uh, you know, we're 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 a, we're a Canadian company that, uh, that originated out of Quebec. Our robustness and ruggedness is is key. I mean, the ice, the snow, the and obviously our chargers are, are can be installed outside and, and they are very often installed outside. So the ruggedness um, is, is key. Outdoors is not just the weather, but it's it's, also, it's people too <laughs> sometimes. Somebody drives their car and bumps into something or, you know, so ruggedness is definitely the top thing. And, you know, we, we, we continue to try to, try to improve that. Uh, cable management is, is another big challenge, um, you know, in, in the in EV charging space. Um, and so people... A lot of sometimes, uh, especially off, you know, EV chargers, 
the locations of the e-chargers are often not attended by people or, or service people or, or, you know, an attendant. So they're not watched by somebody. And so people tend to be, I guess, less careful <laughs> with the software. So they won't, you know, snake the cable back in, you know, a gas pump usually have staff there. So, you know, they put the gas pump back in, uh, but, you know, you charge for some reason, it doesn't quite happen as much. So try trying to make sure that we design pro the product in a way to make sure that the, that the guests or the charger, when they plug the connector back in so that the next person can, you know, come in and use it. So cable management and, and, and connector management is, is another big one. And the other thing is trying to simplify the user experience for the end user. Um, I, I keep using the term experience a lot, but uh, right now EV charging is still not quite at the point where, you know, it induces more anxiety than say finding a gas pump to, to fuel your, your combustion engine car. And so that experience is good. I, th I think I saw at some, some point a couple of years ago that the things that make people happiest in money are not products they buy, but experiences they have. So it's a good good thing to focus on. So, uh, well, I, I'm going to jump to, since you sort of focus on that a little bit, jump to one of those issues. So I'm not going to lie, I, you know, when we moved, well, I'm from Florida, but my, my wife is from Europe. So when we moved here or I moved back a few years ago, we had a lot of new charging stations in the area that I was like, wow, this is great. They're all over. They're wonderful. They're so nice. And I've been really disappointed with the durability and long-term design of them. They're not flow. I don't, we don't have, have any flow ones in, in my vicinity, but particularly like some of them are, are, are broken or, or unusable or, or almost unusable. Like I had took a picture yesterday of a station where the screen is so degraded. You can't see the, the screen, like the, the plastic on front is so warped and, and fuzzy. You can't see anything on the screen. So I'm curious to hear a little bit more about what you do to maximize long-term durability and reliability of stations to, to avoid, you know, really nice new stations being really bad a few years later. Yeah, I mean, it sort of goes back even to the to the level two charge. Level two charges are simple, so less things are to break. But when you when you go to those DC fast charge uh, chargers and they have well, a these screen. these are all level two. I'm talking. Oh, about. these are level two. <laughs> yeah, these are all level two stations. <laughs> I'm not going to say whose, but um, yeah, 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 yeah. They're you know uh, they're branded. Yep, uh, the, the 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 screens are, are notorious. So you know, speaking from flow, and I think a lot of it's not just us. Other, other some other industry players do it too. But you have to choose components that are optimized for outdoors and, and for these kind of environments, right? And just like if you want to send something into space, you have to have electronics and components that that can withstand the radiation and and the space environment. So one, of course, choosing the components and choosing things, and and build it in a way that that is designed for that kind of use, either. The freezing ice code in Canada or the hot and humid uh, Floridian weather, right? As an example. So that's one. The other one is to test the thing um, to the level uh, and, and, and to the level where the product is going to be installed. So if you know that your product is going to be installed to use again, like extreme, the, the hot and humid versus the ice cold test in those environments and, and make sure that when you do the assembled and finished product, that it also survives those environments and then so that's just the pure hardware aspect then you have the whole servicing and monitoring aspect that a lot of i think the ev driver doesn't see but for most things that work really well they're serviced or monitored like a gas station typically has an attendant and somebody rips off a gas pump cable right uh, the hose and then they see it and they'll go replace the hose and the same thing with 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 telecommunication your cell phone tower works because it's monitored and if something goes bad you know the at&t verizon whoever knows to send somebody to, to do it and so we do the same thing um uh, and and there are companies out there that that do it as well where you would monitor you monitor your system and when you when you notice something is not you know, sometimes you go to a charger and it's not quite charging as fast. 
it's probably because something is worn inside. One of the five power modules or six power modules are down. So your speed is not there. Well, you can monitor that. You can find out, oh, one of the six, 12, five, two power modules is down. I should send a tech to replace it right? and, and investigate what's the problem. So monitoring services is, is really important. And unfortunately, some chargers are installed in places that are, there's nobody there looking at it, monitoring it. And so they, they, they fall to you know, disuse. And the last thing I would say is, and that's something as an industry we need to get better at is today, if you're vertically integrated and you develop and you build everything, you control everything, you have the luxury to deliver a better experience to the customer. So at Flow, if I use us as an example, we build the chargers themselves. We have a cloud service in the back end to monitor them. We have a mobile app for users to try to find those chargers. And so when somebody calls our phone number 1-800 and say, hey, this charge doesn't work, we, we're on the hook to fix the problem because everything is part of us. The challenge is when, for example, we sell our charger and it's on a different network, or we connect a third-party charger onto our network, our EV charger network. Then you know the person calls and you're like, wait, is it is it the APIs that are not working in the backend in the cloud? Is it the charger itself that's not responding? Is it the app that's not going to, you know, then then and then unfortunately in those situations, there's a lot of finger pointing, there's a lot of investigation, and it takes longer, frankly, to solve a EV driver's problem or fix a charger. And so it's a there's multiple elements. Uh, to it, but if you do everything well, uh, from the hardware to the monitoring, the servicing, and also to how you integrate the different components together, and it's obviously easier if you're, it's all from one vendor, but it's maybe not beneficial for a particular um, consumer uh, or customer, then that's how you would get to a, a future where EV charges are operating well, right, performant, and you don't have that anxiety of, what if I show up and does it work, right? Or, yeah, I don't, I don't want to put you too too hot on the spot here, but I'm curious then, could you say, are you are you the most vertically integrated EV charging uh, company you know, or just one of one of the most, and there's a handful that are similar kind of level of vertical integration? Yeah, we, there, there are other providers like that that are, very, that are vertically integrated. Flow, we are one, you know, ChargePoint is another that, that you know, offers the, the hardware, the cloud, the mobile application and others. And others you will see on the road when when you when you approach the charge, it's labeled, you know, something, but then it looks very similar to somebody else's. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then you know that okay. You know it's good. Yeah, yeah. Then, then, then you know and 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 to the to the credit, the industry is getting better. So we're standardizing the protocol, for example, between the charger and the cloud service. And then those those are called charge point operators is a service that 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 operates them and then you know the chargers. And there's uh, OCPP is a standard protocol that goes between them. And when you have a standard protocol, the idea is that you can swap out the chargers and theoretically it should behave the same way, right? Uh, you still have to do testing to make sure that it actually happens, but that could, that, that, that should help. And in fact, it's getting there. So, you know, in the next few years, you're gonna see more and more standardization. And when those protocols are standardized between the different parts of the, the, the EV charging backend and hardware, you should also see that the, the end result for the customer is more reliable and better experiences as well. That's a really useful explanation. I, I think vertical integration is one of those topics that sort of have gotten really popular because Tesla has popularized it with people who follow, you know, historically maybe followed consumer tech and, but not deep manufacturing issues. And it's clearly something Tesla did a lot in the auto industry to, yep basically to survive uh, and it's and it's it's gotten a lot of prey a lot of people are really into it now for that reason but the way you're talking about it and the, and the way I was thinking about it a moment ago is it's sort of like when you have a new industry or fast changing industry it seems like vertical integration should help a ton to solve the problems you, you said could pop up 
when you're a very mature industry, like the auto industry was before, you know, then, you know, the more you can outsource, it's all standardized, it's, it's cheaper, you know, so it's an interesting thing I hadn't really thought about in regard to Tesla or others is that, you know, it it depends on the phase of the industry. So just like with autos, electric autos, EV charging stations, seems like you really, you sort, you really need to be as quite vertically integrated right now. Otherwise you have all these horror stories, especially in Europe of, of um, just lack of compatibility and things. Yeah, and to your point, I mean, that's why Tesla in Europe and, and Elon Musk announced on Twitter that he was going to open up by the charges even in North America. And, and so that yeah. means suddenly that Tesla will probably have to be compatible with these standard protocols, right? And, and then what does that mean for the future? So uh, yeah, it, it's, I think, I think your, your observation is very much on point. Well, I think I just pulled it out of your comments, <laughs> but they were really, really good for explaining that to me. Uh, so yeah, so we've talked about c- customer experience a bit in different ways here. There's just wide variety in customer experience with charging stations. Some have like no interaction with the with the consumer. You just plug, unplug. There, you know, some are much more integ- integrated with your life, like with apps and much more extensive touch screens. How does your station user experience team work to, you know, try to make the user experience as smooth, easy, and enjoyable as possible? What's sort of the process for continually improving? On those things, yeah, the the um, the cool the cool. I I push my product team and my design team and my development team to to think about the the jobs to be done of a product. You know, Clayton Christensen, the the, the professor at uh, unfortunately passed away last year, I believe. But um, oh, he did. He, I don't think I, I don't think I saw that. Yeah, yeah he, he passed away. Um, um, sad, but. Yeah, you know, I, I looked up to a lot to his writing and 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 uh, you know the jobs to be done. And when when somebody approaches a, a EV charger, the job to be done is to charge it in their car. And so everything you can do in the experience to try to get out of the way of that, um, you know, it's important. And you know, we're we're the some of the chargers that the connectors are not the easiest thing to handle, as an example, for for all demographic and all users. User interfaces themselves, there's a wide range of them. You, you see the ones that are done very well, which helps the user accomplish their tasks and move on. And others, I had, a, I had a, uh, an ex-colleague um, who was driving from Austin to Houston. And um, on a, one of the EV chart, it was raining that day. And then uh, when they were trying to charge, they couldn't because it requires a touchscreen interaction and there was water on the screen. And they just, you just couldn't charge. <laughs> It just it just didn't work, and so um, you know, you, you, obviously, chargers are installed outdoors. Obviously, there's going to be rain, so you have you have to think about, you know, how 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 can you in, ensure that level of experience? And I think, yeah, I think yeah, yeah. I, I was just, there's a big fast charging network all over the U.S. that my my mom was using for road trips from Florida to North Carolina back in a in a 2015 BMW i3 Rex, and the screens you couldn't really see on the screen when it was sunny. So it was like oh, great yeah. network, you know, big new network, but then she was like so hard to see. And she kept bringing it up. It's like, like, I just, I can't see what's on the screen. And then you're having other errors because they were new and, and sort of can't trouble. You have to get on a phone and it takes half an hour. So it's fun. It's, I mean, it's people put in, not really funny. People put in so much money to develop, develop something great. And then a, a thing like water or sunlight can be such a problem. Yeah. So sorry to interrupt, but it was just uh, yeah, similar kind oh, yeah. of. And, and we we hear you we see and hear these horror stories all the time, right? And and um, and another angle that maybe will help your listeners 
or or could another approach that will help our industry as a whole is also to say, well, let, let's address all the users with disabilities as well. Because if we addressed a person who, for example, can't see, that would have probably solved your mother's situation where the screen couldn't <laughs> see as an example. Uh, colorblindness is another great example where if you design your product or your interface to be used by, for, for, for people that are users who are colorblind, it actually helps from readability from a 10 foot distance as well, right? And so usually when you design for uh, diversity and for uh, users with disability, you actually benefit everybody. And that's another, I think, aspect that as an industry, we, we can do a better job at. I like that. I like that push, you know, when, when we design anything for diversity, it seems like whether it's ecological, economic, uh, technical, it's, yeah. it tends to help help everyone. That's a really good point. So uh, let me see. One interesting thing, too, and I mentioned it earlier, you know, in the past five years alone, you know, range on electric vehicles has gone up tremendously, maybe tripled or so, uh, while cost has come down. I was talking to a city manager who was uh, responsible for the EV charging stations here, and they were going to start charging for uh, on all these free stations they have. And then they saw a big drop in, in, in use in like 2000, uh, when the Model 3 came out, basically, when the Model 3 got real popular, because it was like, you know, people didn't need to charge in public so much anymore. So can you speak a little bit to, you know, how that 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 changed EV market with longer range uh, vehicles, how, how that's changed your own products or your work or, or any of your, you know, planning perhaps even? Well, first, I think um, th there's, there's clear hardware implications to having EVs with longer ranges because typically they operate, they can charge at higher voltages and at higher currents and higher power. And so what that means is that, you know, um, you know, you have the chargers themselves need to be able to deliver power at a higher voltage and then a higher current. And so that, for things like DC fast chargers, that has clear implications right now. We saw the Porsche Taycan, I think it's 800 to 1000 volt type chart level of charging. You know, not all chargers today supports that, right? And so that's something that obviously as a manufacturer of, of electric vehicle EVSCs and EV chargers that we, we have to look at. So your point is interesting. The, the way you formulated the question, you said, well, because the battery are longer range, it's just probably a decline in, in demand for charging or, you know, charging going to um, you know, Tesla superchargers. And, and But what we've seen is that actually with the longer ranges, it did not reduce. In fact, if anything, it increased the utilization of all of our chargers in dense urban areas and also in remote areas. And I think, you know, if you have a longer range, you, you have less anxiety. And so you're more willing to do road trips, maybe at further distances. And so, you know, our, our more remote chargers are, are used more than ever. And so in that regard, it's really pot, you know, it's a, I think the industry is going in the right direction. And then the, the other aspect is even in dense urban areas, I think, you know, there's just longer range, more people buying EVs. <laughs> more EVs. I think getting overall is just helping. It's not, it's not actually reducing anything. More. Yeah, well, that was, I mean, it was very, it took a moment to figure out what was going on because, you know, he was saying they were, they were getting a lot of use and they were going to start charging for it. And then the use dropped off and it took a while to realize that it was, you know, basically people had gone, had upgraded from, you know, 70, 80 mile leafs to where they basically needed to charge every time they went to this, mm -hmm. to the downtown or the store or the beach to cars where they could just charge at home and not have to, but, but as you said, there's, you know, way bigger market now, a lot more opportunity to go places you couldn't go before. So overall, it, it makes sense that the, there would be greater demand. And so the longer range cars haven't really changed much about your, 
your products or, or where they're offered. Is... No, and, and I would say like the other thing is that, you know, the, the previous EVs are still running on the road. Yeah, generally, EVs are quite reliable, so, so they're still there. And then, yeah, you know, if we want to really make a dent in global warming and really drive, uh, you know, trade reduction, carbon emissions and things like that, we, we, you, you, ha you have to be able to offer vehicles for all demographic and all users. That also means that it's, you know, it should not only be a Model S long ranges with over 400 mile ranges. We should have a broader selection of vehicle at different price points. And so invariably that will mean that you will have cars with shorter ranges that may be more affordable and, and those would have a different charting profile, right? Uh, than, than the longer ranges. So I think all in all, you know, sustainability is is tough one because as as we know the in some ways the automotive industry was the was the opposite of <laughs> sustainability. This industry that created planned obsolescence. A lot of people credited, you know, Alfred Sloan, the president of GM at the time, to create planned obsolescence when he was trying to compete with Ford. Hey, can I create a car that people want to upgrade every every couple of years? And, and so um, you know. I think at least at Flow, we, we, I, I try to encourage everybody to think about, you know, if, you, if you're not sure about an answer or not sure about the direction to take on a product or a feature, usually if you think about sustainability, it gives you an answer and, and a clear direction to go. Yeah, the, the, the used EV market is interesting. I'm actually in the middle of writing an article where, for an idea for federal incentives to encourage used EV purchasing that would, you know, then trickle up to, oh, yeah. you know, new car buyers. Okay. They're more willing to sell their EVs sooner because they'll get a good resale value and an upgrade as opposed to the trickle down approach. Because I know a lot of the cars that get traded in, in the U S then get shipped elsewhere. Like I was, I was giving, presenting at a conference in Curacao and they got, they had quite a number of electric cars there and they were getting them shipped from Miami or California. And I know a lot of markets, uh, you know, in Africa and Europe get Ukraine gets a ton of old leaves uh, from the U S so it's like, uh, how do we keep them here so that we're maximizing their, their use and, and, and the ecosystem. But anyway, yeah. So interesting, interesting points on that. I would also, so where do you see the biggest opportunities for increased charging station adoption across the market right now? So, yeah. Um, the increased adoption, I think, I mean, it's, it's pretty much like our, our whole conversation, I think it's across board. Um, Everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, at home, you're going to have to, and it's interesting, uh, you know, just to, to touch on the residential, there, there's, there was this movement of everybody wanted to install this charger in the wall, the Tesla wall charger, as an example, you know, you, you hire an electrician, it's hardwired into the wall and all that. But as we all see now, a lot of, you know, in the forums and everywhere, people are recommending, no, don't, don't, don't do a hard wall install, hardwire it, use a NEMA 1450 plug, right? Or need to use something else so that you can upgrade it. Or if you get a Mach-E and you switch to, uh, to a VWID4, you know, they, they include a charger and you can see you go plug and plug where when you move, you know, residents, you can take the charger with you. You don't have to, you know, uh, hire another electrician. So, you know, that, that I think because all segments are growing, it's, it'll be interesting to see where every segment is going to land. Right. What, what is the residential EV charger going to look like in five to 10 years? Probably very different to, than what it is today. Same thing with public charters. Uh, public charters sometimes are installed in places that are not very, you know, in the dingiest corner of a parking lot or something. You know, it's not. There's a, there's a, there's a park playground near us that we use. And there was a charger installed right next to this water, water treatment 
uh, this is a small, not like a large one, but a small one that always stunk. And it was like the charger was right next to it. And you're like, oh, it stinks. Anyway. But, <laughs> but then, yeah, that, that, that's a great example. I mean, like you don't put gas stations in the dingiest hidden corner of, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a parking lot, right? And, and as we know, like, like, like in real estate, you know, it's location, location, location. You want it to be visible, you want it to be accessible, or you want it to... So um, yeah, that that too. I think over the next five to ten years, there's going to be a, a strong evolution of that, and you're going to see um, DC fast chargers, for example, in more prominently placed locations, more visible, more well lit, with the nice amenities. Again, tying the experience conversation. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to see where, where the industry is going to go, and I'm just excited to be part of it. So sort of prominent places where um, not only they'll catch people's attention, but they inspire people to come there or new developments where, you know, that's going to be a feature that they put next to the, the kids water park or something to. Yeah. We, um, we actually did a survey. I don't remember when um, must be a couple of years back. Um, and then uh, there, there was a, sh- uh, of a, of a group that owns shopping malls or own retail locations. And they said that, the average dwell time at those commercial locations was 77 minutes with combustion engine, uh, combustion engine vehicles. Uh, so when, when a customer comes in with their ICE internal combustion engine card, it was stayed over 77 minutes. Uh, well, with our chargers, we can actually tell how long they charge there. And we found out that for our customers who are charging their EVs, they stay 143 minutes. So almost double. That's huge. That's huge. <laughs> and so, um, uh, and, and you can imagine the benefit that that can bring to, to a location. So yeah, you should, Put it in a prominent location, celebrate it, right? Let people come in and and come to your location and enjoy your coffee or enjoy it. You want some ice cream? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. So uh, on that topic, I have a little joke for you. It's a, <laughs> a, a big box store, a coffee shop, and a hotel walk into a bar and ask about charging stations. What are the key things you tell each of them to to get them up to speed and ready to buy and install a station? Yeah, well, the, let's see, the big box store and the coffee shop, I would tell the 77 minute and the, with the 143 minute, whatever uh, story, um, you know, if, if, you, if, if you want people to, you know, look at average time that your customer stays at your location, and you, you might be able to double it, right, if, uh, if, you, if you install some EV chargers. And so you've been making that pitch, Does is that something that just registers with that, with people immediately? Is that you know, they, if, if, if the location, whatever the commercial location owner or EV drivers, it registers immediately. For somebody that, that has not adopted an EV, an EV car, they have to process it a little bit, but then mm-hmm. they, they, they realize the value. Usually if there are EV drivers, it's an EV right? uh, sell to, to pitch to make. And in other uh, commercial locations, you know, like, like hotels, um, you know, that's, um, you know, the biggest complaint I have from my friends uh, in the Southern United States and in Austin, especially is that now with COVID they do a lot of road trips and Airbnb does, it's hard to find an Airbnb with a, you know, with a, that, that prominently explains we have EV chargers here. This is the, it's a level two or a level one or whatever. And uh, this is the, the, the type of connector that that's on it. Right. Um, it's hard to find. So hotels, if they can advertise and, you know, clearly say, Hey, we have, you know, these chargers that are compatible with these vehicles and they're level two and they can charge to 7.5 kilowatt or whatever, they they will get sizable business out, out of that as well. Stealing customers back from Airbnb seems like it'd be a, a good, a quick, good pitch for a hotel. You know, be like, hey, you want some of those Airbnb users back? <laughs> yeah. Take a picture then, of your station. 
Hey, if, if Airbnb wants to talk, we're all ears. Uh, Flo, we would love to integrate with Airbnb too. So, well, I remember <laughs> we, we, co- we covered Airbnb adding that as an element, you know, a feature that that, yes. uh, that was like, I don't know, for I don't know how long ago, some years ago it was. Yeah. So, it's interesting, you know, interesting how you explain that basically it's not quite enough. If you do, if you can't see the charger, you don't know what kind it is, you don't have enough information about it, you don't really want to book uh, an Airbnb without, you know, it yeah. seems like a, a picture would, you know, people would have the sense to, yeah, exactly. to, to want to put pictures up, but um, who knows. Uh, so last thing here, I think, or one of, uh, one short one after that. So there's there's a lot of EV charging station products on the market where we've developed a, a guide that, you know, try to goes through and and compare them a bit. And there, it's actually difficult because there's not that min- much detail on them on many websites. And I think as if I was shopping for one, you know, not knowing much, I would be really lost and confused. And I guess a key question, what are some things that customers should watch out for or ask about before ordering a product? So I think there's sort of like, it's like the Maslow pyramid of needs, right? First, make sure that it works with your car. So it has, to, it has to be able to charge your car, your make and model, whatever whatever EV you have. Uh, and then second, safety. Make sure it doesn't burn down your house. Make sure that, that you know, this was properly UL test, tested, that, that you're able to, to check that the company is a, is a, is a, is a known company and, and established and, and, and their products are safe because uh, high voltages and high current is, is no, you know, it's not a, it's, it's not a toy. It's, it's, it's serious. And, you know, uh, a neighbor's cut a couple of doors down, uh, their electrician did a shoddy job and, and the garage burnt um, uh, from their actual EVSE. They were using allegedly uh, aluminum wiring instead of copper wiring, right? So compatibility with vehicle uh, safety, you know, the Maslow pyramid of needs, that's, you know, you have to have that. And then the other things, I think it depends on the user, but, you know, in this, this whole thread of experience and sustainability, I encourage everybody to look at uh, durability and reliability as one. Uh, you don't want to be changing it regularly and, and sort of goes against the whole ethos of, of, of driving a, a sustainable uh, vehicle. Um, and then also the design and experience that you're going to get out of it. You know, probably want to want to design to fit into the, you know, what would you, you know, if, if you invest so much in making sure that you have the right light fixture in your house, uh, but then you, <laughs> you probably want your EV chargers somewhat blended into that aesthetic or, or uh, so, you know, uh, that those would be other things, durability, reliability, and also the design and experience would be uh, uh, secondary things. There's no third party evaluation of durability and reliability of stations on the market, right? It's sort of, you, you have to just look for yeah. con- cus- cu- customer feedback and uh yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We, um, you know, on, on our, to give you an example, on our side, our flow chargers, they're, they're all diecast aluminum. They're, they're rugged aluminum. And, and, um, you know, some might say they're, they're a little bit over designed. Usually people don't take a hammer at the, at the, your EV charger, but, you know, we, we decide to prioritize that. And so, um, but you're right. There's, there's not a really, uh, an entity. There's a couple of reviewing sites that would do these kind of testing just to see, you know, uh, in Eastern Canada, there's a, there's a publication called Protégez Vous, which is, uh, that does those kind of reviews but by and large there's no standard uh, and again it's short short term right or or do they well yeah but i mean pointing out aluminum i mean yeah you want it to be able to last a decade or 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 more hopefully right i mean i assume like we have that, that's yeah. exactly what we say internally it has to let ideally last a decade or more and as you know electronics don't do well in heat right and the way you accelerate and test 
test the life of electronics that you put in an oven, you bake it and to try to see if it survives the baking. That's how you test the longevity. And so, uh, they're, and, and they're all new too. I mean, we have, I have a model three, almost two years old and the, tr the trunk won't open right now. I'll have a story about it once. But basically there's a, there's a, a thing that takes the cables from the trunk area for the, for the backup camera, the, the, the trunk opener and everything through the car. And so the backup camera was also going black sometimes. And so the guy came in and basically said something in there is broken, but they have to take it apart and order the part and all that. So I'm waiting right now. So, but I mean, but they was like, do you use your trunk a lot? I was like, well, I mean, I use my trunk. I have two kids. I use my <laughs> trunk. But they were like, well, we find when people use their trunk a lot. But he had never experienced it. Someone he knew in Texas had a few cases they had. But you see, it's just not even two years old. And But so, I mean, there's a lot to think about with products, new products, new markets, so I guess a few final words on that. I mean, what do you do to make sure you you your whole system, your whole station is is ten going to last ten years or more, not have that kind of weird problem? Like like I mean, obviously you're not you don't have a trunk on your stations, but you know. <laughs> yeah, we 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 will. Uh, you know, that's something that we 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 don't compromise on. They're in the reliability and the ruggedness. So you know, I, th I think our, our resonator charge is over twenty pounds, if I'm not mistaken. It's just a pretty hefty thing. You know, they were like, oh, we need to lighten it up, but that means that we have to compromise on other things. So we want to make sure that we use the best components. So it's not something that 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 we would compromise. So we'll we'll continue to you know, bake the charger and then oven. We'll continue to test the durability of cables and the connectors, you know, cycle them. Um, those are things that, that, that we, we take to heart so that, that, that won't change. The sustainable aspect of our company also won't change. We, we manufacture locally to, to minimize shipping and we, we use uh, sustainable energy, hydroelectric generated power to, to power a factory in, our, in the production of our product, um, even down to the casting of the metals. So, you know, that, that also, I think will be part of our ethos. Um, that, that's part yeah, of our, you're yeah. You're on the Canadian West Coast, right? Yes, exactly. Like you have like 99% clean energy or something. It's very... Exactly. Yeah. yeah, which is the opposite of where I live in Austin, which is uh, predominantly coal and gas. <laughs> uh, <laughs> a bit of a contrast. But... Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, so I mean, I've basically heard repeatedly. So I think this is probably repeatedly comes up on your teams, uh, you know, a very strong focus on obviously the durability, reliability. That seems to be number one user experience. Um and oh, there's another oh, sustainability. So these sort of seem to be like the kind of driving, driving matters that you are pushing every day, it sounds like. Um, yeah. So I guess one final question, do you have any teasers for the near future? You could drop our list or anything we should look out for that is coming around the corner or, or you can't say any, can't give us teasers right uh, now, but anything, um, anything coming. I kind of almost want to share my screen, but I obviously can't. So uh um, you know, the, the team is, is working on some really cool experiences. Uh, you know, we, 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 we are building, we continue to build a really strong team. We have user researchers, industrial designers, you know, and we have experts from, from also on the standards committee. So we're, we're, we're working on some really cool new hardware and new, uh, new applications, new mobile applications for, for users. I think, I mean, Zach, your questions were very, um, I then you, the way that you, you know, the questions that you asked, and the, I think my answers give a little bit of hints of, of the things that we're looking at and, and, and we're planning to do. So I, I think I, I've already shared uh, enough. Well, you mentioned experience for a second there, so I, I feel like I feel like there's some experience-related stuff. So that's that sounds cool. That's a good yeah. teaser. And so uh, I, I think yeah, this whole podcast I think has, has some good hints throughout the conversations. I think some people might can infer some of the things to come, but uh, the next the next next twelve plus months are going to be really exciting for us. And oh, we can share.
I wasn't I wasn't sure if I was going to get anything on that teaser question, but that sounds that's exciting. That's intriguing. Now I'm going to have to listen to it again and look for clues. This is uh, sounds good. Well, thank you for what you're doing. You know, I think the the future of the EV market, the growth the growth of the EV market rests on uh, a lot of things, but there's you know there's few really critical things, and EV charging is probably at the top of the table. So I think this is really uh, it's just really important that we have companies strongly focused on what you talked about, those three things, durability, reliability, user experience, and sustainability. So I'm happy that um, that Flow is in existence and doing what you're doing. And uh, hopefully we we'll collaborate again soon. Yeah. And Zach, um, I hope, hope to talk to you again, maybe uh, you know, sometime in the near future. And uh, maybe I'll have more to share at that point in time. Yeah, I hope I get to join in whatever this experience is going to be. You know? <laughs> prototype, uh, beta tester for sure. Okay, cool. All right, thank you. Have a good day. Thank you. Enjoy. You as well. This episode of Clean Tech Talk is sponsored by Flow, the maker of the Flow Home X5. The Flow Home X5 is an industry-leading home EV charging solution that features a stylish and durable aluminum casing and allows you to schedule, monitor, and optimize your charging via the Flow mobile app. Flow offers 24-7 customer support to help with installation and troubleshooting. To learn more about the Flow Home, please visit store.flow.com. That's store.flo.com. Thank you for listening to Clean Tech Talk. Join us next time to get your electric fix. If you would like to sponsor our podcast, send us an email at accounts at cleantechnica.com. That's A-C-C-O-U-N-T-S at cleantechnica.com. Thanks. Thanks.